Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. This is Radio Free Mormon on the air, broadcasting behind enemy lines. Tonight's episode, a Father's Day special. Today's date is Father's Day, June 19th, 2022. And in honor of the occasion, I'd like to take the opportunity to introduce you to my father, whose name was Raymond. My dad was born only a year after the end of World War I. His birth date was December 26, 1919. He used to say that he was so old he was born the day after Jesus. Of course, he only said that after he began getting up there in years. My dad passed away on March 9, 2011, at the ripe old age of 91. But a year and a half before he passed away, he was up from Texas visiting me, and on July 23, 2009, I set my dad down at the kitchen table, got my old tape recorder out, put a cassette tape in, turned it on record, and began asking dad to tell some stories about himself and about us as children. My dad and my mom had three children, all of them boys. I am the youngest. Surprise, surprise. I'm the baby. Gotta love me. The oldest son was born in 1955. His name is Mark. That's my oldest brother. The middle son is Cam, and he was born in 1958. I was born in 1960, and after I was born, I guess they figured they couldn't do any better, so they stopped having kids after that. At least... I choose to believe that was the reason they stopped having children after me. I have kept that cassette tape with me ever since that time, though I had not listened to it again until recently. I have now taken that audio tape and converted it into a digital file so I can share bits and pieces of that interview with you today. Now, I have to apologize in advance because there is horrible background noise on this tape. I was not aware of it until yesterday morning when I began this project and was very disconcerted to hear that because of all the background noise, I could barely hear and sometimes not hear at all what my father was saying. The good news is I was able to monkey with it with a noise reduction function in my software so that now I can understand what my dad was saying. The bad news is is that there is still some background noise, which I was not able to get rid of completely, so I apologize for that in advance. At the beginning of this interview with my father, he talks a lot about his career before any of the kids were born. My dad was an aeronautical engineer who worked on missile systems for the United States military. Yes, my dad is a rocket scientist. He worked at the Pentagon, he worked at Lockheed, he worked at Rocketdyne, he worked at Boeing over the course of his career and was very much involved in research at wind tunnels. In fact, if you happen to have available to you a copy of the Encyclopedia Americana and look up the article on wind tunnels, you'll find my dad's name at the bottom of that article because he's the one who wrote it. I think the only other thing you need to know to understand the stories my dad tells as I play them is that when I was born in 1960, we lived in Palo Alto, California, but we moved from there in 1963 to Waco, Texas, so I have no really independent memories of my first three years in California. But that's okay because my dad remembers a lot of stories that happened there just the same. In fact, the first story he has to tell involves me when I must have been only two or three years old because it happened in Palo Alto, California. TV sets were just becoming popular and my mom and dad had resisted the idea of getting a TV for the home. But my folks eventually relented and did get a TV for the house after the incident my dad describes in this first story involving the links I would go to even as a two or three year old to watch TV. And, uh, while we were living there, we had a little problem keeping me in. I know I 
So after that little episode, my folks decided maybe it was better just to get a TV set for the home after all. Unfortunately, the very first TV set that my folks got met an early demise at the hands of yours truly. Both Tim and I were opposed to television per se because we thought it was really appreciate the idea of television. But finally we gave in and got a small portable television. We had a small table and we had a roller sticker so you could push it back and forth and so forth. When you say give in, do you mean because of us boys? What's that? You say you gave in and got a television because of us boys? Uh, yes, I think so, because, yeah, the reason why when we had to pull you out, you were sitting over there watching the neighbor's television. So uh, it was a real yam on your part to have, to have a tenor make one. But as I remember, we got this one and, uh, and managed to push it around and tip the thing over and broke the very first one. <laughs> and, uh, so we had to find some better way of keeping it up that you couldn't move it around and dump it up. But we didn't break yet. And we just tell it. It's one way of keeping it home. Still up to the neighbors. The last story that my dad tells about us three boys in the house in Palo Alto, California, involves the unusual fact that every bedroom in that house apparently had a fireplace, including the bedroom for the boys. And it turns out that we three boys came up with new and creative ways of using the fireplace in our bedroom. I keep trying to bring you back to the fireplaces in California. Wasn't there a problem with those? The uh, one in Mark's room? No. Oh, yes. Uh, 
I remember we had fireplaces sent in the one, two bedrooms, and one in the main thing. And I remember the occasion when they chose up sides and put your shoes in the fireplace and so forth. So at any rate, I was of the opinion that we just let you go for a so that's what you were going to do. And, uh, but uh, at any rate, uh, uh, we, uh, we did it for disassembled the, the fireplace so it couldn't be used. And so we yeah. didn't, I seem to remember something about Cam putting toys in the fireplace. Well, yeah, there were two sessions of, uh, of throwing things in there. It was the toys were the first things. Okay. And uh, so uh, we managed to get those out and so forth. It was when we, we all chose up sides and started putting your shoes in uh, In fact, you had to put all your shoes in the fireplace. Here we have an investment on my kid's shoes for you. And I said, well, let him go barefooted. And I After we moved from Palo Alto, California to Waco, Texas in 1963, a number of stories begin to focus on strange and unusual animals that we three boys were lucky enough to get as pets. The first story involves, believe it or not, a monkey. Tina had ordered a monkey for you boys. I had no knowledge that she had ordered a certain so I remember coming home from work one day. So here we were faced, I was faced with the fact that there was a monkey in the garage and it was in the rafters. <laughs> so at any rate, we had figured out to had a pen sort of a thing with a door on it that we get the monkey into it. But I couldn't get the thing monkey to come out of the attic. So finally we solved the problem by putting a banana in the open door of the portable cage, cage that we had for Stepped out and uh, I counted to five and then opened the door and the monkey was in there. I just reached around and slammed the door. Um, and so that's how we got him in there. He never did like me very much. I always wore gloves. Six foot, 
But uh, at any rate, uh, we parked the monkey in the, a little house out there, and this thing here, and it was long enough that it could get up on top of the thing. I was amused because I was out there when somebody came out from an electric and turned on some work. So I was there to see the person who put on his spurs or something. They used to climb up the thing. On the other side, he walked up here, and here he was about four feet from this monkey sitting on top of the thing. <laughs> he was completely... Uh, he just did nothing for a while <laughs> when he saw that monkey face there. And, 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 but that was uh, one of the incidents that we had. What was he called? What was his name? Tutor. 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 Huh? Tutor. Okay. So, uh, but uh, that was one of them. Uh, so, uh, at any rate, then we had another. The, uh, Contractors building more houses in the area right around where we were, and uh, I was at work at the time. And uh, a foreman of the crew that was working on the, on the house down there came up and knocked on the front door to answer the voices. Are you the people who owns the a monkey? You know, like flustered and said, well, yes, we do. And he said, well, would you mind coming down and getting him? But Dan Monkey is there, and all of my people are looking for Monkey. Instead of getting working on a thing, I'd like him to get the hell out of there. <laughs> so I, I've forgotten how we did it, but uh, we did get him out of there. And uh, they, they went back to their game. The other thing I think we found is the monkey got away again and he got into a house on the other bank side and uh, I don't know how it happened but apparently he got his tail cut off and the door simply slammed the door and we went So at any rate we, we ended up with uh, Tudor and, uh, and uh, as I recall we gave him to the uh, the local zoo, okay, and we're, we're really quite sorry because uh, I think on the second day someone had him poison, and uh, so he was ended at that time. But it didn't stop with a monkey. There was also a brief period of time when we had an armadillo for a pet, and here's the story of how that came about. Also, I remember the occasion when we were driving. Uh, out the country, it was uh, just a dirt road, it wasn't a concrete or anything. And uh, Mark and uh, both the boys were in the back seat, as I remember. And we saw an armadillo that was walking across the road. It had a lot of heavy traffic. But I stopped, Mark jumped out of the car and ran over in the, the Armadillo took off for the brush on the side, and Mark ch- chased him and uh, vanished from there. They trees and stuff around there. And uh, I got out to find out what was going on, and I could hear uh, Mark yelling out, 
get you out of it. I went over to look and uh, he caught up with that armadillo and the armadillo got halfway down the hole. But he got him by the tail and he was there stat- straddling the thing and hanging on. He said, I'm going to pull your tail off <laughs> if you don't bag off. So apparently the, uh, the, uh, the armadillo did give up. You know, that, so then we put our captured armadillo in the trunk of the car. And, uh, so uh, at any rate, uh, we took him home and uh, we didn't know what to do with him, so we put him into the the old wooden house that we had in the back had a door in it. And, uh, so we parked the armadillo in there and locked the door when his head grating on him. So next morning we got out there and found out that we'd practically taken a hole of the wood and torn through it and we were working on digging a hole to get out of the place. So obviously we weren't going to be able to continue situation. So, uh, at any rate, I think it was at that time we decided to take, take it to the zoo. And, yeah, I remember we had a, had a deal that they'd, take, they'd give them the armadillo that they'd take care of the monkey while we were gone. Was okay. And, uh, uh, we were going to reclaim that monkey and came back in the So, but, uh, that was when we were uh, sorrowed because uh, somebody had given us some poison and we killed him just the day after we, we had him. So that's the story of the armadillo that we had for a brief period of time in Waco, Texas. If memory serves, we named the armadillo Army. Yes, Army the Armadillo. The next story has to do with a Welsh pony that I was lucky enough to have when I was a kid in Waco, Texas. Yes, I had a pony. Please don't hate me because I had a pony. It was a chocolate dapple Welsh pony that I gave the name Texas Ranger and called Ranger for short. My dad and my oldest brother, Mark, already had two quarter horses, one quarter horse each. I guess that makes a half. They were Palominos and they were brothers. My dad's Palomino quarter horse was named Honey Boy and Mark's Palomino quarter horse was named Golden Dollar. But it is me and my Welsh pony, Texas Ranger, who serve as the focus for this story. Although in relating the story, I'm pretty sure my dad gets it wrong when he refers to Texas Ranger as a Shetland pony. He was actually a Welsh pony. But anyway... On a particular Halloween back in 1967 or 66 in Waco, Texas, when I came up with a bright idea of going trick-or-treating dressed as the Headless Horseman. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, what we'd done is we'd uh, gotten horses, uh, a horse for Mark, and uh, we'd gotten a horse for you, and uh, and so forth, and we had them... uh, Farmed out to a fellow to keep at uh, uh, McGregor, which is uh, 15 miles or so from uh, where we live. And uh, I, I, one of the incidents that happened to be very sharp in my mind was uh, on. Uh, Halloween thing coming up, and we had procured a, a Shetland pony for you called what? Texas Ranger. Texas Ranger, yeah. And then uh, 
mark that dollar. Okay. So we decided, or I guess I decided that we dress you up as the guy that lost his head. Headless horseman. Huh? The headless horseman. That's, it. That's, it. That's obvious, of course. At any rate, uh, we dressed uh, you out in a, in a costume. Uh, we put a remark on your mother's uh, pantyhose that were black, put them over your head, and you had a uh, pumpkin eyes cut out and so forth. And here you were mounted on the headless horseman a classy little Shetland pony. So we were just, we took you around you know, in the neighborhood, took you next door. We parked you right on the front porch, you know, uh, you know and then uh, we uh, rang the bell and I got out of sight. Okay. We opened the door and saw the headless horse from there. I was so taken away that he reached out, took a, and, and, and grabbed all of the reins and, and took him into the house, into the living room. And, uh, so and they were all uh, very, very impressed with this whole situation. The next series of stories, once again, is placed in Waco, Texas. It has to do with the fact that we had three horses, well, two horses and a Welsh pony. And there was a need from time to time to get those horses and pony transported from place to place. We did not have a pickup truck or any big vehicle capable of towing a horse trailer. So my dad came up with the novel idea of getting a hearse. Yes, a hearse as a family vehicle. Sort of a cross between a station wagon and a pickup truck. And no, I'm not making this up. I suppose that, as a little kid, I thought it was normal to ride around with my brothers in the back of a hearse. You know, the back part where they put the caskets. My dad got a trailer hitch attached to the hearse, and that's what we used from time to time to tow the horse trailer. Of course, we used it for other family occasions as well, and this sets the stage for the next cycle of stories of strange and unusual and sometimes humorous incidents that happened involving the family hearse. And then at some point while we were in Waco, you bought a hearse. Ah, okay. Yeah, the problem here, we had horses up on the, uh, uh, 15 miles away being uh, down there. And we really didn't, uh, if we wanted to take them to any particular area, we would borrow a, a, uh, a trailer or a truck to, to haul the horses you know, uh, out there and so forth. And uh, we got to the point where we uh, we didn't have a truck, okay, and uh, I thought about the idea of getting a, a, a hearse to, uh, a, that we could use for camping and so forth and so on, and also we could use it to tow uh, the uh, horse uh, behind it and so forth. So uh, at any rate, uh, actually, so I wanted to get a car that was big enough for it. I hadn't really decided on a hearse. In fact, I didn't. I went to look at the large catalytes that they had for resale and so forth. There was a large uh, operation on that in Dallas. So I went up and 
looked at some of these things, but the air conditioning was new and uh, the first Cadillacs that came out with air conditioning and all the equipment for the air conditioning was in the trunk. So you really didn't have any room for anything other than just the air conditioning system. So, uh, however, so I wasn't uh, finding anything that was particularly good. But here sitting next to him is a row of horses. And so I walked over to look at uh, a horse and uh, these were a large Cadillac with, with about a two-foot extension on the thing, or having a good thing that you could put hay and all that kind of stuff in. And, uh, the first one I looked at had a, a kludge of things uh, mounted on runners and this sort of thing. That, uh, then I looked at the year later, and one that had uh, uh, smooth things and low, lowers in it so you could roll cast in and so forth. Had the uh, window in between the uh, driver's seat portion and so forth that uh, could be operated in a closed position. So it occurred to me that they looked like a classic solution for a problem uh, for hauling horses which we could rent, uh, you know, trailers and so on. So that's what got me, gave me the idea to go ahead and buy one. It was a 1960 model Cadillac. It was a 1960, it was a two or three-year-old uh, Cadillac. It's kind of interesting that uh, the new, new Cadillacs, uh, once they, they began to look a little Thing, the, the top outfits that married people uh, would then swap in their two-year-old Cadillac and buy a new one. So, and, uh, so that happened a couple times. So I got one that was about four, four or five years old, but I actually had a two owners and three owners on it. So and it turned out to be quite a, a solution. We had a number of interesting incidents. Uh, I know that uh, we could drive down there in town, and, uh, uh, but we kept the, the uh, drapes in the car uh, uh, simply for privacy and so forth. Uh, I remember that uh, Mark would sit in the back and play on his trumpet, and people couldn't hear us. And, I do remember uh, one day it was warm. Of course, it was not air conditioned. Before air conditioning was very fast in 1960. Uh, as I said, the new air conditioning for the But at any rate, uh, we were driving uh, boys in the back, grapes. came to a stop and the car was being on the other side of us and stopped light and so forth. Mark was getting pretty boisterous in the back and I turned and hollered out at him and I said, settle down back there. And uh, 
My God, you should have seen the people on both sides looking at <laughs> So uh, the reaction was, uh, was kind of interesting. Uh, we had another uh, incident that we'd, we'd gone to uh, West Texas to visit the Chinese family uh, and so forth. And this Cadillac person. Uh, at any rate, we were coming back on the Sunday afternoon. And I stopped and uh, forgot the name of the town, but I needed to get some gas. So we pulled into the gas station uh, about five or ten miles earlier before we got to this place at the gas station. And an out of state car that I couldn't see where it was from, but uh, we weren't really going very fast, but they stayed behind us. So it was fun. So at any rate, we pulled into the gas station, and the same car actually pulled in to get gas as well. And it turned out that how does the plate was from New York? And so at any rate, uh, I was standing up there inside waiting to go. That's when people used to pour your gas in and so forth while they were doing it. And this person came up to me and they said, we've been following you and we're here. She said, we didn't know what the law was and was it all right to pass a, a hearse out on the highway? And I said, well, yes, ma'am, unless it's followed by a procession. And then it's illegal to do that because you pass the whole thing. And so forth. Well, we really uh, didn't know, and that's the reason why I asked, but they sort of nodded and said, you got anyone in there? And I said, yes, uh, uh, two boys. He said, two? Yeah. And I said, the other one's in the restroom. <laughs> well, at about that time, the, 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 the brakes were pulled back, and Corbin's face was in it, yelling something about something. <laughs> I never will forget that shock look. <laughs> I don't want to have it <laughs> Hey, well, it was fun. We had a lot of, a lot of work with it, but uh, we got a lot of courtesy on the highway. <laughs> and I, I also remember when I was in the hearse to, to hold the sailboat up to Washington. I think it was the dog on the lawn on the trailer. I was unable to, I was just about getting out of Texas. I wanted to get something to eat. Pulled into a, a place where I could get something to eat, but I couldn't wrangle that thing in their parking lot. So I parked it in the street right in front of it. And so here's this white Cadillac purse with a red silver sailboat on the back end of it, sitting right before. So, and uh, the owner of the place uh, was so surprised because he was getting people coming in. <laughs> he said he had never had so much business and he absolutely refused to make me, to let me pay for what he ate because he'd had better traffic than he'd had before. But his rigs had knocked right out from his the last story I'm going to share from this interview with my dad from July of 2009 is a story that he did not remember, but that I did. So this is me telling my dad a story about himself that occurred in conjunction 
with a deep sea fishing trip that we took when we were on vacation down in Padre Island, Texas. This would have been back around the mid-1960s. I include this story here because it gives an insight into the kind of man that my dad was. On one of those fishing trips, I'm just going to mention this here to put this on the record because it involves you, though I'll bet you do not remember it. The name of the guy who ran the thing was uh, Captain Collie, and he had at least one grown son or more that helped him. And there was this time when we were done for the day, we weren't the only ones on the boat, there were other people on the boat, and we were waiting in line to clean our fish. And this son of Captain Collie's was with us. And the guy in front of us, who was cleaning his fish, was taking a while. But we waited. I don't remember it being a big deal. But I remember it taking a while. And longer than maybe you would think it would take him to clean his fish. And we walk up there, and we're starting to clean his fish. The other guy walks away, and Captain Collie's son looks after him and looks at you and says, You must be a Jew. In a disparaging way. Now, I'm six years old at the most. I have no idea what a Jew is. Yeah. I could tell it wasn't a good thing the way he said it. But the thing that I will never forget is how the temperature outdoors went down 20 degrees. Because I could feel you tense up about it. My recollection is you didn't say anything, but it was very obvious that you were not happy with that comment. I wouldn't have been. I mean, I would have taken that attitude. You don't remember it, do you? No, but I remember it. It made a big impression on me. I never asked you what was that about or anything, but I knew something bad had happened. Yeah, I remember the uh, boat. We rented the boat about do some fishing. Well, that concludes the stories that I was lucky enough to have my dad relate to me back on July 23rd of 2009 and get it all down on tape. I feel a sadness in coming to the conclusion of this podcast because in some way I feel like I'm having to say goodbye to my dad all over again. Anyway, as I said, he passed away on March 9th of 2011, and I wanted to produce a special episode of Radio Free Mormon for Father's Day and in honor of my dad. I miss you, Dad. I love you, and I'm so glad that I got to have you for my dad. Well, that's about all for tonight. I want to wish each and every one of you a happy Father's Day. Until next time, this is Radio Free Mormon, signing off the air.